Another Way to Play, episode 73. What I did without really knowing is that I just focused on the things that I like doing. I think there's two general reasons I've learned that you do that. One is that you're good at it and that you build the love for it. Mm-hmm. And then if you have the love, time just flies by. Few things truly matter, but those that do matter tremendously. This is Bill Flynn, business coach and author. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with our good friend, Hans Schuzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the nine-to-five rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is the business growth expert, founder of Catalyst Growth Advisors, and the author of a book, Further Faster, The Vital Few Steps to Take the Guesswork Out of Growth, Bill Flynn. Bill has spent the last 30 years working with and advising hundreds of companies, including startups, where he has a long track record of success. He's had what he calls five successful outcomes, two IPOs, and seven acquisitions, including a turnaround during the 2008 financial crisis. In this one, guys, we get into a lot of really interesting stuff, but a few highlights that I want to make sure you absolutely listen for is Bill talks about how most people have what he refers to as innate abilities, meaning there's something inside of you that comes natural that you're really good at that probably aligns with something you can do in your professional life. And he gives us a really great exercise to try and find it. If you're feeling angsty, if you're feeling like you're not in the right place, listen up for this because he talks about taking a piece of paper, dividing it into four quadrants and labeling each quadrant, love, long, lust, and loathe. He gives you an exercise, carry that piece of paper around for a week write some stuff down on it. And then at the end of the week, you hopefully will identify your direction. Again, listen for it. He explains it very, very well. Also, he draws a really interesting distinction between happiness and fulfillment. Before we get into the episode, guys, as always, if you're getting value out of this or any of the other content I'm putting out, please head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review so I can keep collecting some feedback on how I'm doing, how I can keep improving, and then obviously keep boosting the algorithm because that really helps me grow the show and get it in front of some more people. Thank you so much for that in advance. And without any further ado, I'm going to bring in Bill Flynn. Bill, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really excited to have you on. Appreciate being on. My pleasure. Gosh, you've got a dense bio, if you will. A lot of things that you're, you're doing, including a book, including a lot of career success and IPOs and all that fun stuff. But before we get into all of that, let's back up a little bit and build some context for the audience. Where did your journey begin? So the current path I'm on, I'm going to say started probably when I started doing startups. That's early 90s. I've done 10 startups since then as a sales and marketing guy. I've been a VP of sales eight times, a couple of marketing jumps in there as a CMO. 
but I've never actually been a founder. I've always been the guy or a team of people who came in to help scale it. Mm. The only company I've ever founded is the one I currently have, of which there's just one employee. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds like you found a bit of a niche being someone to come in, not necessarily at, you know, number two or number three employee, but somewhere once they got some traction to help take it to that, that next level. Yeah. In the nineties, we were the B round guys. Now Mm. things have changed where that B round is earlier on. There's usually a product in place. There's probably a team of a handful of people, at least maybe more. They've mostly figured it out, but they don't know how to scale it. And Mm. I and a handful of other folks that I work with were pretty good at that. A local investor team, Matrix uh, Partners out here, they would sort of say, okay, great, do it again. And they kept putting us, you know, one after another. Every two or three years, we'd just go to the next one and the next one and the next one. I was five for six, which is pretty good. Five for six meaning what? Either an IPO or an acquisition, if you will, a win through an investor. Uh, The first six were pretty good. Not so good after that. Yeah. (laughs) But the first few were really good. I got spoiled. Right on. So backing up here, because this is a really unique position you've found yourself in. Growing up, did you ever think that this would be the way that you navigated the professional world? No. I never, I've never been one who really sort of has a plan. I was uh, an athlete growing up. I played a lot of hockey and did soccer and tennis from high school and college. And I actually played hockey in college. So that's why I went to college. I went to a particular school I went to to play hockey there. And, Which and school did. was that? Uh, St. Anselm's College, and it's a little tiny college in um, New Hampshire, but it was a pretty good hockey team. I think if I were to look back, it's the puzzle that I really like. Mm. I like figuring stuff out. And my dad was a pipe fitter. Okay. Uh, so he put in grocery stores, Stop and Shop, uh, Whole Foods, those kind of places, you know, for many, many years. And he would always come and tell me the stories. You know, he'd tell me one time there was something wrong with putting a store in. He had to punch a hole in the outside wall so they could get a line in to bring water in because something got screwed up. And yeah, only one time he went to some farm and they were trying to get this machine going uh, with the milk because something was broken. So they jerry-rigged something, mm-hmm. but they made it go too fast. So they actually turned it into butter. Oh no. I get that sort of, let's try to figure out a creative way to solve this thing. And that's really what startups are, right? It's a clean sheet of paper. You're just making things up as you go. And hopefully you're right. Um, yeah. I think that's my, if you will, that's my seed. That's awesome. And thank you for sharing. But being in the startup world, how did you find yourself in this kind of series B role where you would come in in the marketing or sales department or be a CMO, as you said earlier, in some cases, as opposed to starting something on your own? Because I think a lot of people romanticize the like start in my dorm room or start in my basement and like build it into Apple, right? But it sounds like you maybe didn't do that and you found a different niche. How did that happen for you mentally and how did you identify that for yourself? Yeah, I think I've never been, you know, a visionary. I know I have friends, they have have like a thousand ideas in a a week, Mm -hmm. you know, 20 a day. And they're just, they're just ripping off all these ideas. That's never been my thing. I generally like to stick with something. I think Einstein said, it's not that I'm really smarter than everybody else. It's just I stick with the problem a really long time. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a difference. I also found that if I'm not interested in something, I'm not really good at staying with it. Once I found something, I really was able to grab onto it, make it happen. It was more about the operation of it for me than it was for the idea. 
solving the problem for me was figuring out how to make this thing efficient and effective. That's what I like doing, not the original problem. I could never be like the guys at Waze. I would never have thought of how do we solve this problem from getting point A to point B mm-hmm. and what technology that would never occur to me. But once they sort of figured it out, I could say, okay, how do we make this engine move faster and get bigger? Mm-hmm. That's always been the thing for me, whether it be school or work. If I liked the subject I was in in high school or college, I got an A. If I didn't, I've gotten a D before. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. it just I wouldn't put the energy in. You identified the type of person you are. You said, I'm not the visionary type. And I think that's really important to recognize because I actually resonate with that because I don't see myself as a big time visionary, but I definitely am someone who can look at a problem that someone else has started or try and deconstruct the way someone else is you know, marketing or their sales process and try and improve on it. But I'm not the guy coming up with, with the new iPhone per se. And I think for the audience's sake and for the greater purpose of the conversation, what I find so fascinating about that is really that you've identified what your strengths are and then what it is that you like to do and have then found a way to exercise both of those things. Is that something that you think has led to the success that you've seen or is there something else in play there? No, that's exactly the reason why. I'm a huge fan of Marcus Buckingham and strengths and weaknesses and all the stuff that he talks about. What I did without really knowing is that I just focused on the things that I like doing and didn't feel like I had to get straight A's. And luckily I had parents who didn't make that important. Mm-hmm. And I think I naturally did that. I didn't really care what the product was. I needed to believe in it. You know, I worked in affiliate marketing. I worked in e-commerce. I worked in IT services. I mean, it was all over the map. It was all technology, but I just think technology is cool. I'm a bit of a geek mm-hmm. from that perspective. I learned after the fact, but I'm a big neuroscience fan. If you find something that you really love to do. I think there's two general reasons I've learned that you do that. One is that you're good at it and that you build the love for it. Mm-hmm. And then if you have the love, it's a time warp thing. Time just flies by. So if you can think back on stuff that you did and when you did it, did time actually fly by? That's probably something you want to look deeper into. I would be tired, but not exhausted. You know, mm-hmm. And I want to do it again. Yep. Just try to find reasons to do more of that. If a question that I ask pretty often and money will come, that's a thing that a lot of people say versus do pays you and do your passions on the side. The way that you just articulated that, learning to love what you do as opposed to finding what you love where time passes and then trying to double down on those things. Like really my question is, do you have an opinion on like finding a passion and pursuing it versus knowing that you have a process that you liked or a part of the company or something that you like to be part of. And then you learn to love the product and the work itself afterwards. Yeah, that's a really good question. And so I have, I have a 19 year old daughter and I was very deliberate in how I wanted to raise her. And one of the things I really focused on was how can I help her figure out that kind of thing? So what my wife and I did is we actually just had her try lots of different things. You know, she was a swimmer, she played soccer, she did art, she did ballet, she did all these things. As she got older, I asked her three or four times in her life, and I said, you know, hey, you do this. Do you think you'll do that in high school? Do you think you'll do that in college? Do you think you'll do that after? And I just sort of had her think about it, you know, not grilling her. And now that she's older, I do ask her, I said, can you think back over the last week or the last month or whatever, and just describe for me a day that flew by? What were you doing? I totally believe in that. I think 
it's something a lot of our abilities are innate and we don't look at them. I think we too often are told that, you know, or, or believe that, oh, I, I need to do this or my dad would be proud if I did that. And then you find out a year or 10 or 20 years later that you're just dissatisfied and unhappy. And I don't want my kid to do that. Not that I was ever dissatisfied or unhappy. I think I got lucky, but I think too many of us do that. I now apply it more deliberately. I think I, it was almost a natural thing that came to me as I got here. So yes, from, from that perspective, I would totally say that's a great question to ask yourself on a regular basis. I love doing the love, loathe, long lust, you know, kind of thing. You know, do that exercise that, yeah. You said a second ago, your abilities are innate. That, that sort of struck me because that's a unique concept and a, a unique way of putting it. Can you go a little deeper on that for us? Yeah. So again, I'm not an expert at this. I've studied neuroscience for 15 years now. I've actually got a certificate from the Neuroship Leaders Institute and all that stuff. What I've learned is when our brain is functioning, it is mostly on automatic And if you look at the research that's out there, somewhere between 95% and 99.9% of the time your brain is actually calculating is on automatic processes. So when we actually deliberately think about something, that's a very small percentage of our time. And genetically, we are given gifts from our parents, whether we use them or not, you know, is up to us. You can certainly develop abilities, but you got to put a lot of time and energy. There's neuroplasticity, all those things. But I think some things are just, they're just more natural. For instance, my daughter is a synesthete. A synesthete, I don't know if you know what that is. I don't. So synesthesia is where several functions of your brain cross over. So it's the opposite of anesthesia, which is the numbing of the senses. Mm-hmm. Synesthesia is crossing of senses. So mm. my daughter hears a word or hears a song she sees color. It's called chromesthesia. Only about 2% of the population actually have it, but 90% or more of the population of really highly creative people have it. So Billy Joel has it. John Mayer has it. They believe Mozart had it. So that's an ability that she has. She's a songwriter. She plays guitar. She does poetry. She's an artist. And she's never really been trained in any of these things. It just comes to her. That's an extreme example, but sure. that's what I mean no, by I'm, their I'm with abilities you. that you have. I don't know if I explained that well, but... Yeah, I mean, I think we all, especially as we get on in our years, like obviously if you're a teenager into your 20s, sometimes you, you, know, you get fascinated with other things or you get rebellious and you don't want to do whatever it is you thought you were good at in high school because you know, your parents wanted to or whatever. Yeah. So there's that. But when you sort of get through some of that stuff, especially if you start doing some personal development, some self-work relative to what is true to you, that's when you, I think we all start to really identify with certain things and certain skill sets and certain things that light us up and certain things that are just like, I cannot do that for one more second ever, even if our life depended on it. And it sounds to me like that's what you're describing and that's what you found for yourself in this series B world of these startups. Yeah, I love doing it. You know, it's a lot of work and effort here in the Bay Area and it's a lot of startups. I'm sure, you, I don't know if you've done them or, or part of them, take a lot of time and energy and you have to love it. If you don't love it, then you're just going to be exhausted all the time. You might have resentment, whatever. Your family's not going to be happy because not only you're not there, but when you're there, you're probably not a good person to be around. Right. You now, when I think, you know, reading, you know, your wake up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined freedom, I think the sooner you can do that, the better your life will be. And I think, yes, the money will come. 
I don't know how much money, and it might not be billions of dollars, but it, it should be something, and you can decide how much you want. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do with my, my daughter. I just I do with my clients now. I do it myself. I love your premise of your podcast. I was really looking forward to be on it because I'm a huge believer in, in that line. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm still really fascinated by this because a lot of the people who tune into the show are in these moments of transition. And, and generally, I think my generation and our culture at large is maybe going through a bit of a work shift, especially in this, I mean, practically in this coronavirus age that we're in at the moment, just people can't physically go to the office. So it's changing the way that we're working in it and it may change forever. We'll see. But I think generally there's an awareness that's happening inside of those typical nine to five world where people are starting to think like, is this all there is? Like, is it all about this commute and the 401k and the house and the picket fence and the whatever utopian version of of success is supposed to look like, right? And I think that there's more people who are aware of potentially trying to find what's true for them. And one thing that I can say without doubt that everybody who's been on the show thus far who has been successful at one thing or another has said in some way that they were truly authentic to themselves when they were doing that thing. And that it was 100% them they weren't doing it for anybody else and they enjoyed it. And whether it was an athlete or a business person or an actor or, or whatever, that came up across the board with everybody. So with that, yeah. how does someone who has never really done a deep dive on that innate ability that they have inside themselves and has just been sort of doing what they were told, who wants to start finding that, how do they go about starting? Yeah, so there's this one exercise. I have all my leaders do it, and, and I have other people do it as well. So you take a piece of paper, you, you put in four, and you put on top of it love, loathe, long, and lust. And you carry it around with you for a week. Just start with a week. You can, you can do it more times during the year, but just do a week. And then, as you said, when you find something that just takes your, your, your passion, you just, your time flies by, you just so look forward to doing it again, write that thing down. Don't do anything about it. On the load thing, you mentioned, you know, I just can't do it again, right? I say if you're doing it for five minutes, it feels like an hour. That's what you want to write down. There's going to be a lot of stuff in between. Don't write any of that down. Just the extremes. And then think back. And you may may have been doing something in your life earlier, in, in your job earlier, that you don't do anymore, and you long to do it again. Think about those things. Write that down in the long. And then at the lust, and you're like, the lust is... What's something that I'm not doing, but boy, I've seen Hans do that. And boy, I, I think that would be fun. I'd really like to try that. You know, write that down. And then just at the end of the week, take a look at that stuff and start to ask, okay, what was I doing then? What was happening? Who was with me? Where was I? What time of day was it? All those things to sort of interrogate yourself. Mm-hmm. You'll see a pattern. Maybe there are certain things, and it might not have to do with the job. It might do a meta thing about the job. Mm-hmm. My meta thing is pattern. I love looking for patterns. My brain sees them faster. I enjoy it. I could just sit there for hours and try to figure that out. So do that. And then on the load thing, start to get rid of those things. Mm-hmm. Right? And I use a thing by Rory Vaden. There are four criteria. One, can I automate it? And anything on here I can automate. Mm-hmm. And I know you do this. You know, I use Calendly for my calendar because I found out that it takes eight times on average back and forth instead of a meeting. Mm-hmm. Boy, that seems like mm-hmm. a waste of time. So I automate that. 
Delegate, which we all know, right? Is there someone else who can do this? Especially if you're a leader, is there something that you really hate doing that's really important that you can give to someone on your team that might love doing it and allows you to do something that you do more love doing more often? Right. The other is eliminate it. Do we really need to do it? And then the last thing is, and I love this one, is procrastinate. Just don't do it. And if nobody notices, eliminate it. <laughs> I've never heard that one before. I love it though. Yeah. That's really yeah. good. So that's a quick and dirty one, but I love that exercise. Can, can you give us the, the four L's again for that exercise just so everyone can hear it Absolutely. once more? So love, loathe, long, and lust. Beautiful. That's a really fantastic way to start. So once someone's done this exercise for a week, they have presumably four or five, six things, hopefully in each of those quadrants. And then, then there's a pattern and they can start to hopefully see a trajectory. And I would, I would argue that just physically having that paper with you probably changes your relationship with the exercise. Even if you're not looking at the paper with the exercise in your head so that you start coming up with new ideas and new things. And out of that, who knows where, where that goes or takes you. Exactly. Yeah, you change your mindset, right? Absolutely. Bill, this, is, this has been amazing. So can you tell us real quick, um, you said you went through a number of companies, a lot of IPOs. What were some of the really big success moments? And can you, can you outline just a, a failure for us or, or what most people would call a failure and then why you're glad that failure happened? Yeah, um, I've made a ton of mistakes, but I've also done a lot of things good. What I, what I learned about startups is you really have to focus on the problem and the customer. You know, try to figure out, are you solving a problem worth solving? And are you solving it in a way for enough people to make a difference in their lives? Because people are just looking for progress, right? And your job as a startup is to, is to help them with progress. That helped me with a lot of success, especially with the first few, especially as sales and marketing guy. I'm always trying to figure out how I can help someone. Right. And, you know, I was lucky. I, I started doing startups in the 90s. I, had, I was at businesses where we were a few million dollars and we were public and we were worth several billion dollars. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, is that success? Who knows? Um, Some might call it that. Yeah. Um, but the most success I've had is when I've helped other people. And the one thing that I always talk about is I worked for a company. This is sort of why I start coaching. And I won't go through the whole long story, but we had a big problem. We had to solve. We lost thousands of customers, lost millions of dollars of revenue. And I put a system in place that we exercised over a period of time and it worked. You know, you look at my resume, it all looks great, whatever. But the best part was two of the five of us that were involved in that, when I left the company to go to another startup, they said basically the same thing to me, which was, I just want you to know I hated what you made me do, but I'm so glad you made me do it Mm. because now I know how to do it. And I tucked that away and said, I want to do that again. I want to help more people like that. That's what I consider success. Um, So failure, you know, I was a really bad person at hiring for a really Mm. long time. I bought into the whole myth of, you know, look at the resume and ask questions and all that stuff. And I realized it isn't about that. Unfortunately, hired badly for years, especially a salesperson. A salesperson is really hard to hire. They are the best interviewers on the planet. Yep. <laughs> you know, so I was like, how did, how did we miss that? Um, so it, that's definitely one of my failures is I, I unpacked it, if you will, and said, how was I, what was I f- trying to figure out? And what I really found out is that I was really looking for three things. 
and I reconfigured the entire interview process around three things. And for salespeople, it's, are they curious? Do they act like they're their own business owner? Do they have compassion? Those are your best salespeople. That was my end in mind. So I reconfigured how I interviewed. My interview process was really weird. We don't have time to go into it now, probably, but I had a lot of people who looked at me and said, wow, I've never been through an interview like that before. I've had people leave my interview because yeah. they like it. <laughs> yeah. So. Not a good fit there. It's interesting that you said that weakness was hiring and like sort of the resume and the question asking process as, as most of us have experienced at one time or another was the way you did it. And then you took that and identified characteristics that you thought were critical for a salesperson and changed, changed it up. It sounds like it took the interviewing process and that self-proclaimed weakness or failure and turned it into a strength. Sounds like the strength or the success that you said and, and why you got into coaching to help people and to give them the skills and the tools to succeed later in life and to have them as in retrospect, thank you for putting them through some hard things. Like it, it strikes me as like, that's the mark of, of truly successful people aside from knowing themselves and putting themselves in the right places is that ability to take a weakness over time, identify it, own it, and then say, what can we do about it to change it and then turn it into a strength? Yeah. Some weaknesses you have to just say they're weaknesses. They're inherent. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And you just try to minimize it or put it aside as much as possible. I definitely have those. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but that's what I do. You know, the best athletes, the best people are really good at a few things. And they're just, there's a great saying I love, which is few things truly matter, but those that do matter tremendously. Mm. That's what you should do is figure out those few things that matter to you, your team, your customers, if you're in business or whatever, your family, and just really focus on those things. Because the 80-20, Pareto was a genius. The 80-20 rule is everywhere. Really, it really is true. And if you can figure that out, then you'll be much happier. I'm not going to say you're going to be rich, right? but you know, you'll definitely be happier. The rabbit hole of what you just said, the happiness isn't necessarily rich, right? Totally agree. However, people have to, to make money to live and to pursue dreams yeah, and to start companies and vacations or travel and whatever, right? How are you defining happiness when you, when you say that? Like, how, like, what does that actually mean to you? I'm not going to remember this, but there's a great quote by John Wooden about success and he did mind success is basically doing your best every day at what you do and, and, and just trying to keep improving yourself or something like that. It's definitely a paraphrasing. He, he has a much better version of it. So happiness is one thing and fulfillment is another. Mm. Uh, and I think you got to balance both because you can be happy for a short amount of time about something, but to me, happiness is more towards fulfillment. At least I'm going to say 20, 25% of your day of your week you're doing something that is the thing we talked about earlier. It's just something you just love doing. You don't have to do it all the time. That's why you get the side gig, right? Mm-hmm. You know, my sister hates working. She did it because she needed the money to do the other stuff that she loved. Right. And so she was okay doing the work that she did because she knew it was paying for the stuff that she loved. So you can do that. If you don't have anything else that you love and you, and you have to make it your work, then figure on that. Try to figure out how can you fall in love with at least part of your job. Is you know, the research says it's 20% of the time. As long as you're doing something that you love 20% of the time, you can live with the other stuff. Now, if you that's can make it through five or 50, great, even better, right? Yeah. So that's, that's sort of my answer to your question. 
don't know if I answered it um, the way you wanted. I, but. No, it's that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. There's also a, a component here that I want to address because I, I think this goes back to like the sort of you know workspace revolution that I think some people are experiencing now, and uh, that's the time component, which is is the, the traditional model of clocking in eight, nine, ten hours a day in an office. Is it the time that you're supposed to put forward, or is it the result? I would argue that a lot more people are leaning into that to understanding the currency of time and where they spend it, right? Because we are all given the same exact amount of time in a given day. Like no one has more or less and it's what you do with it, how you maximize that, what you create or who you spend it with. And I think that is ultimately what can lead you to that happiness and then fulfillment. Yeah. Too many people confuse activity with productivity. Well and, said. you know, it's like an example. I, I, people say, well, I, I want to try to read 100 books in a year. Why? I'd rather say I want to learn this subject really deeply. Yeah. And, like, I reread books all the time, especially if they're difficult, yep. because I learn something new. Or I, 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 I love the way Bill Gates says it, right? He basically takes his bag of books right. and he dives deep into one subject and learns really deeply. He learned how to put a toilet together, right? Yeah. He, in order to do the stuff with this foundation. That's what I like to do. And I, and I think if more people did that, it's not about the numbers that you do. And, you know, we, we get enamored of that. Oh, I spent so many hours doing this. You know, if someone can spend two hours and accomplish the same amount of thing that it takes you 10, who's more successful? Mm-hmm. And that's same with my daughter. My daughter can pick up music way better than I can. Yep. And I work really hard because I like it. But she shouldn't have to work 10 hours if she can do it in two minutes. Because yep. it's a special thing than... Boy, do more of that. Why not? Man, Bill, thank you so much for all of this. You've been really insightful and brought a ton of value today, but I do want to respect the rest of your time in your day and transition us into the Focus 5, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? I am ready. First question, what book have you gifted most often? Uh, I gift Vivid Vision to all the leaders that I work with because it's a great prescriptive book on how to tell the people that are working with and for you where you're going or where you want them to go. Leaders have to have followers. Followers want to know where we're going. It's a great book for that. Great. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Yeah. By the way, Hans, that's one of the questions I ask when I change my sales interview routine. I do ask a similar question. Oh my gosh. Uh, Awesome. (laughs) <laughs> so my answer, uh, my answer is Ben Franklin. I think Ben Franklin is, he's a polymath. He's a writer, printer, philosopher, politician. He's signed all of the first documents of our country. He knows physics. He knows electricity. He's just an amazing guy. I just would love to just chat with him and understand how, how he comes to be so curious and what he does and if he's a, there's a process and that kind of stuff. He just seems like a fascinating guy to me. What is one thing you believe that most people disagree with you on? Uh, Feedback's more important than growth. Can you expand on that just a little bit? Yes. So uh, I get in trouble a lot because people say you have to be better at feedback. And and my answer is no, you don't. You have to be good at trying to help people grow. One of your tools is feedback. It is not the only tool. And to be honest with you, it should be the last tool that you use. And you should use it only with express permission because people don't like feedback, we don't want feedback. Our brain hates it. Uh, even when we ask for it, we're much more likely to reject it. 
It should be growth. That should be what you're thinking. How do I help this person grow? What are all the ways I can help them grow? Mm, okay, I'm, I'm with you. I, I love that distinction. Thank you. Yep. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? Yeah, so I start my day differently on a regular basis. I start my day based upon how I ended my other day, my previous day. I'm a big planner. All the stuff that I teach my clients is you have to have purpose. You have to have a BHAG. You have to look out you know, a few years, one year. And then I, I plan my next day based upon making sure I'm doing those things that are going to impact the progress to reaching that mm-hmm. better. If that means I need to go to gym in the morning because I've got some, a client in the afternoon, then that's what I'll do. If, you know, if it's something else, I don't. So I don't really have a morning routine. Um, that's awesome. I do have a routine. I always ask that question because I get such a variety of answers and I appreciate cool. you sharing a new one with us. So thank oh, you. Cool. All right. You've been so great. You've given such amazing value. Tell us really quickly, you have a book that's out now. Can you tell us where to find that and where to find more about you online? Yeah, sure. So my book's an ebook, Kindle. It's going to be out on Audible soon. So Amazon, all those great places you get it. Right now it's 99 cents. As I mentioned earlier, I'm going to donate any proceeds I get on the book to the United Way until there are no communities, counties, or states that are in lockdown. From the COVID-19 virus. From the COVID-19 virus. So when that's done, then I'll start to make money on it. And Um, what's the name of the book? uh, Further, Faster, The Vital Few Steps That Take the Guesswork Out of Growth. And I'll link to that down in the show notes so it's easy to find down there. And then where can we connect with you personally? Yeah, so I have a website. It's called catalystgrowthadvisors.com. I do a bi-monthly newsletter, which is a one to two minute read with always some sort of action. There's almost always an action to take for you, like the love load thing is in there. And I am on LinkedIn a lot. I do put stuff out there and I comment every now and again. That's sort of my main social media area. I'm not on it a lot, but that's where right. I'm at. So LinkedIn, as well as your website, and then you can check the book out on Amazon, Audible, Kindle, all that good stuff, which is all linked down in the show notes. Bill, this has been really unbelievable. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing all of that value with us and stay safe and have a good rest of your day. You as well. Thanks for the time, Hans. And that does it for today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you want to connect with Bill, LinkedIn is the number one social platform to do that. Got his profile linked up down in the show notes as well as catalystgrowthadvisors.com. You can check his website out there, find out where to find his book, which is on Amazon, Audible, and Kindle. I've got those linked up as well. So if you want to check his book out, I can guarantee you it's packed with a ton of really great content, especially for those of you who are trying to build up and scale businesses or frankly, parts of your lives. And if you want to connect with me on a one-on-one basis, the show notes is also the place to do that. Down at the very bottom is where I have the link to get a slot on my calendar. So you can go pick a time that works for you. We can connect one-on-one and get to know each other just a little bit better. And I really look forward to doing that with more of you because it's been going quite well so far. So thank you to those who have done that and look forward to connecting with the ones who are thinking about it or will do it soon. Anyways, I'm going to sign it off. This is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. 
For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at ChiefSNAH on Instagram and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.